And so for me, the real joy comes from walking into a dispensary and seeing a space coyote or hearing about someone buying a space coyote and then them connecting the dots when they meet me. I've had people say, wait, you're the co-founder of Space Coyote? I've bought so many of your joints. Like, it's the only thing I buy. For me, that's where the greatest pleasure comes from. And then through the actual creation of the brand, I get this huge rush when I'm designing something or even writing copy. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is good. I love this. And um, yeah, I think I think that does translate out into the world. And that's why we've had so many people just naturally evangelize the brand. Everything that we've experienced through success has been word of mouth. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I am your host, Shada Taravi, and holy shit, we are in December can't believe we made it to the last month of 2020. Obviously, nobody predicted this dumpster fire of a year, but y'all, we survived. And if I'm being a little honest, we're kind of thriving. We've learned how to adapt. We are pivoting. I think there have been a lot of big wins for cannabis this year, despite everything else that's been going on. So there are some good things coming out of 2020. With that said, I appreciate every single one of you for listening. I really, truly couldn't be doing this show without the support of the listeners. So for everybody who tunes in, has subscribed, has shared the podcast, all my guests, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. And this week's guest is Cream of the Crop. She's one of the coolest girls in cannabis. I've been a little bit of a fangirl. I'm not going to lie. I came across Libby Cooper, the co-founder and CEO of Space Coyote, a couple months ago. I think I came across her brand, then I found her Instagram, and I just thought this girl knows her shit. She's creative. She seems like such a fun, creative, smart person to, to just be operating a cannabis brand. And I was like, I have to talk to her. I have to pick her brain. So luckily, Got a Connection was able to invite her on the show, and I really think you're going to get a kick out of this episode. Space Coyote is just barely, you know, two and a half, three-year-old brand coming out of California. Wow. If you know anything about cannabis in California, it's not easy to start a brand up. So this episode definitely dives into some of the juice and behind the scenes of what it was like for Libby to start Space Coyote. And yeah, we just rocked out a really fun convo. I'm going to stop talking. We're going to let Libby join the show. Thanks again and welcome Libby. Hi, my name is Libby Cooper and I am the co-founder and CEO of Space Coyote. And I've had, you know, a few years in the cannabis industry now and it's really just been a total dream. This is my absolute passion. And I cut my teeth in the cannabis industry as the creative director of Ease for a couple of years. So you know, learned so much about different brands there, consumer behavior, was exposed to so much data, and that was able to inform me on starting my own company. That was a very 
humble introduction, <laughs> but I want to dive a little bit deeper. I was reading your bio, of course, and like I mentioned before we started recording, have been just following you. I mean, you didn't just build a brand, Space Coyote. Like you've built a very disruptive female empowerment, uh, just cannabis empowerment. I mean, the content you're creating on your platforms is very pro smoking. I know that you're a really big advocate for more women to be smoking, uh, especially with your history with ease. I mean, helping launch some, some pretty successful brands through your time there really helped me understand, you know, how did you go from I'm working in this industry to, I want to have a brand in this industry that you then birth this beautiful brand that is space coyote. Well, uh, that's a great question. While I was at Ease, I was also doing a lot of consulting work. So on top of building their own white label line of products, I was really working with clients as well. And my history, um, you know, in previous companies was always as a designer. So I had been a UX designer. I had worked as an art director on uh, video sets. And, you know, I very much thought of myself as a creative person. But what I was actually able to realize was I also was very business minded. And growing up, my parents, I swear they groomed me for this. They would always say, you know, you've got the personality type to be a CEO. Both of them have amazing businesses in Silicon Valley. And I grew up going to high school in Palo Alto, originally from London, but I really did grow up in the Bay Area. And so I was exposed to so many uh, different people with so much innovation. And I resisted. You know, I really didn't want to be a founder. I even hated the word founder. Um, and co-founder, I was like always rolling my eyes. And uh, it, it really did take a number of years for me to realize I had what it took. I had an amazing idea. And I actually had a really fantastic co-founder to be able to start Space Coyote. And my true drive came from seeing this, you know, big gap in the market. At ease, I realized that the customer is really driven by this price to THC ratio. You know, they want high THC for a low price point. And a lot of companies were doing the race to the bottom method of let's make barely any margin. Let's just get the customer a shit ton of money. And maybe that's a very Silicon Valley mentality too. Like, oh, we'll just figure out how to monetize this in the future. But I wanted to follow something that was more aligned with the world of CPG, which is have a healthy margin, always try and have that margin be 40%. Um, that is your gold star. And that meant building a business around a product that had, you know, high potency, great margin and a lot of brand loyalty. So you could have that velocity of sell through. That's actually a really smart way of thinking about it. And I appreciated you taking the time to walk us through it that way, because again, when you look at your brand, it's obviously very beautiful and put together. And so I hope everybody who's listening immediately goes to Instagram or to your website right now, which is space coyote, right? Just at space coyote and.com. It's actually dot org. Oh, dot org. Is there a story for that? The story is I would love to have the .com, spacecoty.com, but it's currently an artist uh, who's based in Canada, and she is an amazing illustrator, and I've reached out to her a number of times, and she says that her website is priceless, and she's never going to sell it, 
And I've literally reached out, you know, at, at all these different stages of our business, you know, before it was a business, before we incorporated, before it was a business, um, once we incorporated, once we were a year in, you know, I've reached out this year. So now two years in and the dollar amount does keep going up. And she's like, it's priceless. Wait, that's kind of amazing. Cause I can imagine people listening to, I mean, when you think about creating a brand, we founded our own CBD brand here in Austin and our name is not unique either. We're called Restart CBD. And so you know, people who I think are hopefully in the position that you and I once were, we started our businesses similarly about two and a half years ago. You're looking around as a marketer, you're taught you, you need to get the .com, you need to make sure you get the Instagram, you need to get all the social profiles. And so, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It sounds like despite not having the .com, you still chose the name. Have there been any other, I guess, maybe foreseen or even unforeseen roadblocks when you use a name like Space Coyote that is, it's not, I would say like so popular that everybody says it right or that it's taken on maybe all these platforms, but it's also not a, a unique name. Like it's not like Nike, right? Like they're words that exist. Right. So how do you navigate kind of that aspect of the brand? Well, you know, Nike is a mythological God. So that wasn't even, you know, necessarily like unique or like a made up name itself, but the origin story of Space Coyote was we had gathered a bunch, my co-founder and I gathered a bunch of friends in Joshua Tree to watch a meteor shower during the new moon. And it was like the perfect, you know, viewing conditions. And we drank some mushroom tea and there were coyotes yipping in the background. And we truly felt like Earth was our spaceship. So we became space coyotes. And um, it wasn't until quite a bit later that, um, you know, we discovered that space coyote is a term that the Simpsons super fans use to describe one episode where Homer Simpson eats a chili pepper and has a trip. And this coyote basically like materializes in front of him and takes him on a spirit journey. And nowhere throughout the episode is the word space coyote mentioned. The episode itself is not called Space Coyote. And yet all of these super fans call it the Space Coyote episode because this, you know, coyote from the stars materializes. And so, of course, you know, through starting a company, we went through a lot of legality being like, wait, is this, you know, have, have the Simpsons trademarked this? And no, it's like, it's pure fan fiction. And this, this artist, this illustrator in Canada, does Simpson fan art. Wait, that's kind of a cool... It's a cool story, it's really right? Cool. Like it's, it's, and so if you search Space Coyote on Instagram and online for many, many months, we didn't have enough SEO as a cannabis company. And so all of this Simpsons fan art would come up first. And there are a bunch of people on Instagram who basically just post like Simpson simpsons memes um under space coyote and there's literally no one else using it so it's just like us versus all of these fans um and we finally have gained more seo so it's like a huge win for the brand but also i sort of love this origin story because actually i grew up watching the simpsons not at that obsessed level but i'm a huge fan of cartoons that have a lot of double entendre and are more focused for the adult audience. 
it's a fun story. I've actually never told that story to people. So I appreciate you sharing that story because I think those are some of those behind the scenes, maybe thoughts or actions or experiences like you're describing, you know, this personal experience you and your friends had at Joshua Tree is what inspired you to even have this name come to fruition for you. And then obviously as a marketing function, you do want to try to see, does this exist name? Does it have legs? Is there potential legal implications for using it? Should I go ahead and pull the trigger, you know? And so it's, it is really cool just to hear you express that. And I also have to admit, I'm a huge Simpsons fan myself, not to the extent that you're describing of this, uh, this fanfare that exists for the Space Coyote episode, but I do think it's a very sweet kind of, you know, bow tie for, for the brand that you're building. And so it's just a cool, it obviously doesn't always end up that way. I have heard some horror stories of brands who have good intentions. They pick a name and then something else comes up. And so I just, I appreciated your story. It sounds like it's obviously working out to your benefit and congrats on the SEO kind of overachieving and, and outbeating that other content. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to also talk to you about now knowing your creative background, specifically as a creative director and applying kind of from that artistic perspective, the way that you market your brand through partnerships and also through the visualization, kind of walk us through that. Why did you decide to, I mean, obviously the name is like you're explaining kind of that feeling. And so I guess, again, when I look at your brand, I feel the way that you are intending, but that's obviously much harder than it looks. And so I know that there's a lot of process that goes behind it. What was creating the actual brand like for you? Well, I will start by saying it's been a real joy creating a brand for myself. Up until this point, I'd always been working on someone else's vision or having a client that was, you know, paying me some sort of monthly retainer or a project fee to work on their brand. And all of those brands felt like my own. You know, it's like you're still birthing a baby out into the world. Um, And my my background, you know, when I was five, I wrote down uh, in kindergarten, I think all of us had to have this exercise, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be fill in the blank. And I wrote artist and again, sort of like relating it back to my parents, you know, they really wanted to make sure that I was going to be able to make money and, and, you know, thrive in the capitalist society that we all live in. And so I actually ended up going towards design because it was this like form and function meeting, you know, an obvious way of getting paid. You're not struggling as an artist. But with Space Coyote, I actually feel like I can be a true artist again, which is so nice. It's, you know, I have some crazy idea and I'm, I'm able to execute it because I'm not referring to some brand guidelines. You know, I'm not on someone else's budget. And obviously I, I have my co-founder, Scott, and my CFO, Aviad, who are always like, is this a good idea? But it's, um, it's such a joy to be able to work on something that is truly my own and just experiment. And what we're doing with Space Coyote is the exploration of the psychedelic side of wheat. And I think that that has so much room for fun and playfulness and optimism. And that can just come out in different photo shoots or illustrations. 
pieces of apparel, even sponsoring up-and-coming artists, which is a big pillar for our brand, just paying it forward to the community at large. Do you do all the creative yourself? I do, yeah. Yeah, it's me, which is fun. Yeah. I mean, again, I think people listening, there's always a choice to be made, right? Do you have that personal skill? Like for me, I love branding. I'm gravitated towards it, which is why I fell in love with your brand. When I first saw it, I was like, Ooh, this girl, this brand, they know what they're doing from a consumer perspective. It's just, it's, it's engaging, but I'm not a creative, you know, in actuality, I'm, I'm painting with my, my imaginary paintbrush for those of you listening. Uh, like I'm not actually creative. Mm-hmm. I can use tools very well, but me putting it on paper. And so to kind of have that thought process from you coming again too, of like, this is what you're passionate about. You obviously have the business side. You have, maybe it's through you, the team, your pre- previous experience, but really being able to say, I have this idea. I think this is going to work. Let me just go execute it and not really having to check in with somebody else or have to explain yourself to a designer or a creative, it's you. So you know best what you're obviously thinking. And so it's really cool when you get to sit in a position of building a brand and actually being the brand. So I can imagine it's really liberating to get to watch what you're doing, kind of go out on social media and and take off like that. Totally. And I think even more than social media, because we've been pretty conservative uh, with social media, just because I have seen so many brands get taken down. Uh, I've seen so many different people, you know, individuals have their accounts, you know, shut down as well. And so for me, the real joy comes from walking into a dispensary and seeing a space coyote or hearing about someone buying a space coyote and then them connecting the dots when they meet me. I've had people say, wait, you're the co-founder of space coyote? I've bought so many of your joints. Like it's the only thing I buy. For me, that's where the greatest pleasure comes from. And then through the actual creation of the brand, I get this huge rush when I'm designing something or even writing copy. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is good. I love this. And um, yeah, I think I think that does translate out into the world. And that's why we've had so many people just naturally evangelize the brand. Everything that we've experienced through success has been word of mouth. This entire year, our marketing budget was zero. And I think a lot of people have that story through COVID. But, you know, we, we focused very much on events in the past. And, you know, in 2019, and we just had to turn that off and we didn't, we didn't put that budget somewhere else. And, you know, month after month, we keep having the best month of sales ever. So it's just been fun. It's having the foundation of an amazing product that has the consistency of flavor and having that high potency that people can trust and they know that they're going to have a guaranteed good time. And then that fun brand on top, that's what creates a lifestyle brand. That's what gets people coming back. Now you said so many things. I'm just like, where do I start to ask more follow-up questions? Like one kind of a leading one, just because I was on your social media before we were recording this and you're talking Mm -hmm. about not really, it sounds like you're, you're not scared, but cautious. Right. And I think we share a similar, you know, rightful caution when it comes to social media, when it comes to what you want to post and to what extent, but you post a lot of you smoking pot, 
mm-hmm. on the gram. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that that is risky? Do you feel that it's risky and you don't care because you're the brand you get to make that call versus maybe an agency who's advising you to do or not do something like I personally post myself also consuming mostly CBD because I'm in Texas, but I post myself smoking out of devices or joints or things like that taking the risk on because I, for, for me, I use it as a, as an opportunity. I was given this platform to work in this industry and to be an advocate of this plant. I want to help shine a light on it. You know, if you can go to happy hour and post a picture with your friends, I should be able to post me smoking a joint on a Friday afternoon or whenever. And so knowing that I've, I've watched your content very similarly, you know, created like that, where's the, where's the risk that you're, you know, kind of existing in? Yeah, I think it's huge risk and it's the ultimate form of non-attachment. This year I've had a number of different things in my personal life and with business where I've just been like, I just don't care. Yeah, it's like, I don't give a flying fuck what's going to happen as long as I'm putting it out there. And if, if something happens, you can always rebuild it. I was actually, this is, this gets personal, but I was actually very nervous before to ever post that I was living in Hawaii because it was this, I don't know, like, oh, people going to take me seriously? Are people going to want to invest in space coyote? Will customers think, oh, that's just, you know, kind of fucked up to live somewhere and have a business in another state just because of the legality of everything? And I think once I fully embraced who I was, which included smoking weed, which included being in Hawaii and included, you know, sometimes having a nude photo as well, you know, smoking and and being nude in a photo was it was this like ultimate empowering moment of just saying it doesn't matter. If an account on social media gets taken down, um, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, what I'm focused on is that my business is successful and that we're having, you know, good sales and delivering a product that is actually part of the brand promise. And so I think once I, once I remove this like preciousness over, oh no, like something could get taken down, it just becomes fun. And that's just what it is. And I think that's, you know, when people see the brand, it's like, this is just, it's fun. And we just shouldn't take ourselves so seriously. There are definitely aspects of the space casualty business that we have to take really seriously, like regulations and the Bureau of Cannabis Control. And we've got a team of three lawyers. And so why not have the rest of the business be playful? No, I, I'm so inspired by what you said, because it's just, it's relatable. I think so many of us want to enjoy these things specific to cannabis that we love, that bring us peace, that bring us, you know, medicine. It's, it's a part of my everyday life. I couldn't imagine my life without cannabis. And so to have to think about creating content differently as a result of it is always something that's been in the back of my mind. But I, similarly to you, kind of had a moment kind of around the start of COVID. I mean, again, to get a little personal, I went through a pretty intense breakup And basically my ex had acknowledged to me, you know, at one moment, you smoke a lot. 
And I was like, I do. And he was like, you, I don't like when you put it on the internet. And I had at that point, not really put it on the internet. I, I live in Texas. He was in California. And so I would only post about when I was in legal States, you know, and after the breakup, I was kind of like, wait, that's like one of my favorite things about me is like, not that I smoke, but that I love cannabis, that I really care about this plant, that I'm curious about why smoking is the best way to consume it. Why, if you don't like smoking, here's alternatives. You know, what is the ratio of CBD to THC? What is the quality of all these different things? Let's talk about terpenes, the cannabinoids. Like I realized through that experience that I really did love this side of me. And so that is what encouraged me to, and I love the way you kind of framed it with this attachment or this disattachment. What the fuck was I holding on to? Because I, it's like, if this is who I am in everyday life, I like to be more honest than not on social media. It's like, I want to live that truth on social media too. And so again, for people listening, obviously everybody has their own threshold discretion. I mean, for me, my family does know and support what I do. So I have a very open relationship to cannabis in my family that for me, it's like, this is just me being able to live my truth. And so why the fuck not? Yes. Yeah. Well, and another area of um, sort of non-attachment that I've learned to practice was I'm part of a community living property, which is something that I always really wanted to build. And I had the opportunity to build it, which is amazing. So Scott and I um, you know, as we're building Space Coyote, we also wanted to build a uh, community property. So, you know, we have this epic piece of land on the water and multiple houses. So Scott lives in one house, I live in another house. And we've, um, you know, got a lot of our friends to move into the property as well. But when you're living with a lot of people, I hadn't actually had roommates for many, many years until, you know, starting a it's not a commune, but we call it the compound. Um, it just doesn't have enough rules and it certainly doesn't have any religion. When you're living with a lot of people, your stuff starts to get used. It gets used and like maybe some bowls get chipped and, you know, it's not as clean as you want or maybe it's cleaner than you want and you just, you don't really have this control over your life when you used to be living, you know, in a little apartment. And I used to live in an apartment at eight... 800 square foot apartments in San Francisco. And yeah, it was like my little zone. And, you know, when you live with a bunch of people, there's a lot of turnover as well. And you're just like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, material things don't matter. If I don't sleep in my bed for a night, I'm like, hey, do you want to, you can sleep in my bed. It's just sort of this like ultimate sharing. And it really changed me as a person because I think I used to, buy a lot of clothes. You know, I, I loved online shopping. I loved new things. I loved nice things. And I don't think, you know, humans can sort of live like that anymore. You know, with the advent of climate change is like here and we've got seven years to turn it around. We all have to realize like, maybe we should share some more and maybe we don't need nice new things. And we can put our money that we've worked so hard towards other areas in life. We don't have to just consume, consume, consume all the time. Cool. 
quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. I think it's a really beautiful thought that you're expressing because I think COVID on top of it has forced a lot more people probably into that belief than not. Like it sounds like you were kind of more willing to kind of go into that like decluttering of everything or just maybe it's like, you know, stop resisting, just let it happen. And I think probably for a lot of people listening, you know, they're still struggling with that because it is a... I have to keep up, especially when it comes to building a business, building a brand. I mean, you sit at a really interesting position where it's, you know, you obviously care about the business, but there is still this, I just want to have fun. I just want to help people connect to this plant in a more meaningful way that is effective for them from a price point perspective. That's, it tastes good. It's, it feels good. It's something that they can rally behind. And I think you mentioned it earlier to kind of come back around to that thought too, you know, Again, I can acknowledge it because I feel like I live it, breathe it, eat it, but it is a really powerful thing when you can build a brand and spend little to nothing on marketing and have other people help advocate for you. And I think that for me is a sweet spot, especially in this industry, because the use in the eyes of the world who go on Instagram and post ourselves smoking joints and you much more glamorously in a beautiful backdrop like Hawaii. I'm like, damn girl, my joint smoking is like in my closet over here and yours is like with the beach in the background. But knowing that in our unique way, I think helps inspire other people to have the conversation because again, you and I are or maybe positioned as an influencer in the space, but I really believe that it's it's everybody is an influencer in the space. Every mm-hmm. single person who purchases your product, every person who walks through a dispenser, every person who you know chooses to have a hard conversation about cannabis with their parents, their friends, their peers, somebody who considers mm-hmm. cannabis over prescription pills, somebody who decides to you know just talk openly about it for the first time in their life. I think those are really powerful moments that I'm excited because I'm seeing more and more happen, especially for us having that retail space every day, I see somebody come through who you can tell they're very skeptical. They're very cautious. They don't know if, especially for us, if CBD is going to work or not, you know? And so being able to, it's, it's like you did the work, you put the brand together, you know, you came up with the creative, you're building it, you're putting it on the dispensary shelf. And then at that point, it's, I hope it's like you said, you're birthing babies. It's like, I hope the people take care of the baby. I hope they enjoy it. I hope they have fun with it. And it's just a very subtlety thing that I think most people think it just happens, right? Like, oh, I just, I hope people walk away and want to tell their friends. But obviously it's, it's all of these things that you've just been explaining that is kind of weaving together this narrative of, yeah, when someone smells my product, when someone touches my product, when someone goes to social media and when they go to an event, what does Space Coyote feel like? And, and how does that make someone feel to then go want to spread the brand? So I want to kind of go back to a little bit of, you know, you being in dispensaries, you obviously sell a THC product, so you can't be direct to consumer. What is that like running a business, especially you mentioned in Hawaii to California where like for me, I think I can work remotely to some extent because 
because I can sell CBD anywhere. I don't have to legally be in a particular state to operate my business, but you sell a product licensed to California. You cannot sell online. You're limited to dispensaries. How do you navigate that part of the business? So it's all about having great partnerships. So we have an amazing distributor. Um, We have an amazing contract sales team. What our team internally does is about managing these external teams and making sure that there's a direct line of communication and we're fulfilling each other's needs constantly. So, you know, our head of sales, he's internal and then he manages these external sales teams, these sales reps who are constantly out in the field selling space coyotes. And that keeps our internal team very lean. It means that our head of sales can be anywhere that he wants to be. But those sales reps who are, you know, not part of Team Space Coyote are actually out in the field. You know, if there's a need, so this is an example that just happened. We were setting up a new manufacturing facility because we've grown and we just, this is the third facility that we needed to set up. None of those manufacturing facilities are team space coyote that all contract manufacturing. And you can think of that like anytime you buy an Apple product, it says designed in um, California. I think it, does it, it says like Cupertino. I think it says Cupertino. Yeah. You know, designs in the States and it's made in China. So when you look at consumer electronics, when you look at consumer packaged goods, these companies don't actually manufacture their own product. They have, you know, an extensive spec sheet. They have people who manage that manufacturing process. But what's happening is there are experts out there who specialize in one thing. You know, there's, there is an expert in rolling papers and we use raw rolling papers because I personally think they're the best. We're not going to start a business where we're going to make our own rolling papers and, you know, brand them. And we're not going to have a business where we're cultivating the own, you know, our own weed and growing it. But you do actually see a lot of cannabis businesses being vertically integrated. And I think that that is the downfall of a lot of companies, especially during COVID, that they haven't recognized that they cannot be the expert at every level of the business. Some some cannabis companies even have their own distributor license and they're self-distributing. And I it just blows my mind. I mean, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but it it does blow my mind because I know I'm good at branding. I'm a creative person and I wouldn't be able to run Space Coyote without my co-founder Scott, our CFO Aviad, and our head of sales Nick. Those those are like my key core people because each of us has a very specialized skill. Scott is all about you know product and operations, and he is you know in it. Aviad is a financial wizard. Nick is so good at sales. And each of us then have our teams that branch out from there. But we don't need to hire, you know, a company of 150 people. But that is what we would be doing if we were vertically integrated. 
Yeah, you paint an interesting picture just because, again, I think what I bring to the table is I try to sit at a national understanding versus most people just operate in the state that they're existing in. What I find is crucial for me is to absorb kind of all the opportunities and possibilities because like you said, I think there's certain ways that maybe it was historically done, or if you look at certain state to state, like you can kind of see maybe what Colorado has done versus California. But I think what you're doing is almost like the future of it. I think people realizing that you don't have to be vertically integrated. I think the past couple of years, vertical integration was, it it was almost like a badge. It was like, oh, we do everything in house. Like we put all this money. Yeah, exactly. Look at us. We did it. And I'm like, okay, good for you. I didn't do that. And I also don't have to, and I'm not X amount of money out. I'm not, you know, my team isn't three or if we're X, which is, again, they're not bad things. Like you said, it's not to dog those people who have gone after that. But I think another complexity to that, especially when I talk to people from operating businesses in California, everybody shares a similar sentiment of it's just, it's challenging. And I think understanding not so much, you know, this isn't like, Oh, you got California versus Colorado, but it's like, you obviously operate a business in California. You need to think through, this is the state that I'm operating in. This is what makes the most sense for my business. This is where I'm really skilled at. This is where my team is skilled at. This is the best course of action for me to move forward. And that's what I want people who are listening to, to really understand. I always try to emphasize, you know, obviously listen to what Libby is saying, like learn from her, but the reality of someone doing exactly what you're doing is impossible because nobody's you, right? And so that's why I try to encourage this freedom of of conversation because the reality is people can try to achieve what you're doing. And I really encourage them to try. Like seriously, dig your feet into the ground and try. But it's it's more than that, right? Because it's having the understanding of you can go this way, you can go that way. And then you get to this next level. Like you said, you talked about three different manufacturers. Like that's not it's just like, there's not a playbook, you know, you don't go out and you're like, okay, and this is how my business is going to grow, especially being in cannabis being so disruptive. So I just appreciate the, uh, the transparency kind of walking through the choices you've made for your brand contrasted with kind of what's happening in the industry, but are there any kind of thoughts or plans? Because I think your model and why I think it's a good model for kind of future growth and stuff is because that model to me is, how people can kind of jump across state lines and set up businesses. So are there plans for Space Coyote to be in other legal markets? Yeah, huge plans. Um, We're definitely going multi-state and you're totally right. This is scalable. You know, it's, it's interesting. We just finished a fundraise. So we did our first priced round and closed, which was amazing. I think it took us five weeks, which I think during this time we, we were we were all shocked, but proud of ourselves as well. And we had so many investors ask, well, why aren't you vertically integrated? Well, we just covered that question. But then we also had this whole-on question of, um, you know, are you going multi-state? And for me, the answer is obviously yes, but, you know, it's the how that becomes interesting. And um, when you have a business set up like this, it is easy and I'm putting easy in air quotes, it's easy to move into another state and set it up again. The challenge is finding these partners that you can fully rely on and trust. And I think that's the advantage we have right now in California. California is the biggest cannabis market in the world. And it's, you know, it's the fifth largest economy 
in the world. So we've got some huge numbers to work with. We've got a lot of buying behavior and that uh, actually attracts business owners to set up in California. So our distributor comes from the East Coast and moved a lot of people, a lot of executives from Gap, a lot of executives from the food supply company that actually supplies Whole Foods to start this cannabis distributor. So, you know, it's a team of all stars. Are we going to be able to find that when we move into smaller states? Maybe, but it's less of a given. So as we move into other states, it's about the research. So it's about, you know, essentially interviewing a lot of different providers and seeing, okay, you know, this is a distributor we could trust. This is a group of sales contract salespeople that are going to, you know, really nail it on the first try. But you do, you just have to pick your team really wisely. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And obviously doing it in one state first and kind of executing it and getting it, I don't want to say perfect, perfected or perfect, but like, you know, you're, you're learning kind of what you need so that while it might not be the same in every state, obviously the laws will be varied and the teams will be varied, but you know, for better or worse, kind of like what you need to go after versus maybe somebody who, you know, I think people have ideas of, I just think people don't know what they don't know. And that's what I really love about having conversations in cannabis. I mean, I keep kind of using this example, but obviously with the election, a lot of states went wreck. And so I got a lot of texts from people that were, okay, let's start a dispensary in X, Y, or Z state. And I'm like, that's not how this works. I, I'm in Texas. I I know, you know, other states, but I don't know this state and what are their laws and how do you just go open a dispensary? You know, it's not just that, that easy. And so I guess maybe a follow-up question I have to you because I, a couple episodes prior to this episode airing, I'm going to have Andrew D'Angelo on and he obviously pioneered from California. And I feel like I can say, cause he said it, he's like, it's very fucking hard to get into cannabis in California. With that said, I think when you're going after a license, right, to grow, talking about vertical integration, you're going after a license to dispense, you've kind of skirted around all those necessities and, and just have a brand that you can now go and kind of plug into partners. Mm -hmm. Obviously that's not easy either, but I'm curious what that experience was like. I mean, you're from California, so you, and worked in cannabis, so you knew the market to some extent, Mm -hmm. but it seems very overwhelming. Like as somebody who's familiar with the cannabis market to some extent, I'm like, I don't, I'm surprised when new brands come to market and to see and hear your brand in two years has really had this much impact. Obviously it's a testimony to you, but was it like, I have an idea we're launching tomorrow, you know, two months, three months. Was it a year long thing that you're trying to find all these partners in place? I'm just kind of curious how you get up and running and in cannabis kind of in these late, you know, later years. Totally. Well, I think I owe a lot of it to the connections that I had made in the cannabis space and, you know, just that resume. I'd been exposed to a lot of different founders, a lot of also individual contributors who had worked at all these different brands. I'd had, you know, so many email correspondences with different people. And I, I just love going into dispensaries. So one of the main ways that I launched Space Coyote was physically going into shops. You know, Scott and I were just a team of two at the beginning. 
and we would just go into shops. We'd go into shops together or we'd go into shops alone. And we just got placements, you know, walking in full space coyote uh, apparel, like, you know, hats. And I would wear my like big chunky boots with a four inch heel and just like make myself look as big as possible. And um, yeah, it just works. Just you, you have to really just believe that your product is good and then you convince the buyer of that dispensary and it wasn't easy but I also don't think it was that challenging because um, I knew that we weren't going to fail I didn't actually have the vision of how much we would succeed but I just knew that we wouldn't fail and I think that belief uh, did you know not not on its own carry us but i think that belief infused itself in the design work in the actual product so we we built a product that we wanted to be smoking and consuming and that's why other people actually wanted it as well but i did want to just bring up you know we we did kind of want to have a business without a cannabis license and very quickly discovered that it was going to be almost impossible to operate in terms of the exchange of money. So I am actually on a cannabis license. Me as, a, as an individual and Scott as an individual are on a cannabis license, but we don't operate under that. You know, we're not using the license. We just have the license. And that gave us so much freedom. So if, if anybody's listening right now who's curious about how to start a cannabis business and and doesn't really know where to begin i do advise you getting onto a cannabis license and you can share it with multiple people and that that's really cool and just by having your name on the license means you can receive money you can pay people for money otherwise you have to have all of your partners paying each other and then it gets really convoluted on how do you receive the money at the end and you can do it. A lot of brands do do it, but it did. It gave us this uh, added level of freedom to actually be license holders. Such valuable information. I mean, seriously, I appreciate you sharing that because it is. It's it's stuff that obviously it's it's some quick words. There's more work that takes place to get you to those levels. So I definitely commend you for just that grit and that hustle because. I love what you said. It's like, yeah, it's hard, but it also wasn't that hard. And I think that I, I share that same kind of experience of people like, oh, how did you get there? How did you do it? It's like, I just woke up one day and decided I was going to do it. And then I just started putting one foot in front of the other. And I wasn't really sure where the path was, but I believed that it was going to be successful. And, and I really mm-hmm. think passion plays a big role in this. So whether it's passionate about the advocacy part, passionate about the price point for consumers, passionate about the plant from a a legal perspective. It's just like find something that you're passionate about and like make that be the foundation for your brand to really be growing from. But this was such a great conversation. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Perhaps maybe your favorite dispensary that Space Coyote is dispensed from? So um, my favorite dispensary has got to be this tiny little shop in the mission in San Francisco, just because it's just because I used to live next to it. It used to be called the Love Shack and it was this privately owned little dispensary. And it's since become, um, it was purchased 
by Spock, which is a, you know, much bigger chain of dispensaries. And I really hope that it's still running during COVID. I haven't checked in on it. So after this, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Spark is running. Spark is an amazing um, partner of ours. Um, I really love working with them. I, I love working with every single shop that we're a part of, but this one location, it used to be called the Love Shack and it couldn't have been more than a hundred square feet. Like maybe not even like a little box of a room you enter it from the street and boom, you're immediately in this tiny little box. Half of the room is cut because there's a counter and there are two people working behind the counter and there's a security guard on the other side. So you're in this tiny little space with three people and there's really no other room for anybody else to be in there. And even as I'm saying, I'm wondering like, that probably doesn't work with social distancing. So maybe that's why it's not around. Anytime a business is acquired, I always, I hope that the founders of that original business got what was owed to them. And I really, in this case, you know, I really hope that the Love Shack founders, you know, made some money because they, they had the best little shop and Spark carries space currency. Um, but I, I used to go to the Love Shack before, uh, I, I had a brand, um, and before I ever worked at Ease. Once you work at cannabis companies, you do end up getting a lot of product because you then have so many friends that work in the industry and it's just like adult gifting back and forth, which is fun. But it's nostalgia. Was that a cool conversation or what? I mean, seriously, if you haven't by now gone and followed Space Coyote on Instagram, I encourage you to do so. I know personally, I cannot wait to travel to California so I can try some of these products for myself. But with that said, I think that there was a lot for us to learn from what Libby shared, how she launched and navigates Space Coyote, especially running her brand from out of the state. I think that you know, for better or worse, the pandemic has created a lot of opportunity for us to succeed in the industry in other ways. I think it's definitely pushed technology forward. It's also allowed us to be a little bit more flexible in how we navigate this industry. So clearly Libby is one of the most flexible gals in the space. She is bobbin weaving. She is rocking it. And I'm just super happy to have had a conversation with her. I'm really just looking forward to where her brand is going to continue to grow If you loved this episode, I'm going to point you towards iTunes. I could use your reviews. Reviews help validate the work that I'm doing. It helps validate the guests that I'm bringing on, and it ultimately helps someone else make a decision to press play. So if you liked this episode, you could do me a huge favor by going and leaving a five-star review. That's all I need. That's all I ask. Thanks again. And we'll be back next Monday with another episode. Bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadedtorabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadedtorabi.com. 